Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 59, and today should be a fun one. This is Becky. I'm here with Allie. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining. And we know that our podcast tends to get a little science heavy and can go really, really deep down the rabbit hole. So today we decided to just shake things up a little bit and start with a Q&A and grab bag of questions that we've been receiving from listeners over the past couple months. And then we'll also be sharing with you our Thanksgiving menus, as well as some ways to incorporate healthier versions of your favorite dishes into your celebration this year. Yes, I can't believe we're ready (laughs) into almost the end of the year. And menu planning for Thanksgiving is definitely on the forefront of my mind. And it's something that I spend a lot of time and energy into and always enjoy sharing nourishing foods with family and showing them that you can eat healthy and still eat in abundance and have really rich, diverse flavors. So Becky and I will be sharing with you guys some of the highlights of our menus and things we've done in years past, as well as this year upcoming and and what we're going to put on our family's plates. Yes, I can't wait. (laughs) And thank you so much, you guys, for using the Ask Allie function of the podcast page. So we love getting your questions. And today I think we're going to try to tackle five or six of them, depending on how uh, tight I can be with my answers. I'll try to be uh, less long-winded than I can be at times. Um, But we totally appreciate you guys participating in the process. It makes Becky and I know that our time when we're doing our Skype calls on Mondays and doing podcast recordings are worth it because you guys are listening and engaging and that's always so appreciated as well as y'all spending a couple minutes of your time to go over to iTunes and share a five-star review uh, with our podcast page so that we can get better ratings and more people can hear about the benefits of how they can use food as medicine. Awesome. Okay, so let's jump right in with our first listener question. This one is from Cecilia in Connecticut, and Cecilia asks, Hi, Allie. Thanks so much for all you do with your podcast. Wondering if you could speak more on hair loss and biotin levels, as well as treatment, and also how one can check the best insulin resistance markers and optimal levels needed to feel our best in heels. So we've got a two-part question. So I feel like I've a lot insulin. of these become two-part questions. Too, but, but they're <laughs> so connected. You'll have, you'll have to remind me if I only cover one. Yep. Yep. But let's start with hair loss first. So Cecilia, thanks for your question. Uh, Yes, biotin is one as well as silica. And um, we also think of things like collagen. So biotin first, biotin functions both as a coenzyme and B vitamin. And it does have a correlation of a role with blood sugar regulation. And it can have a connection with brittle nails and hair thinning or hair loss. 
It has a bunch of different functions in the body, like I said, from gluconeogenesis or blood sugar regulation, as well as a role with lipogenesis or cholesterol regulation. But it plays a big role with our exfoliative dermatitis um, pathologies. And um, when biotin levels get very low, we can see thinning hair, receding hairline, and also hair loss. And we can also see this tending with loss of appetite, as well as mild depression or even a moderate amount of anxiety. And we can see it correlating with fatigue, dry skin, and body hair loss. So biotin deficiency can definitely play a trend in this pathology, if you will. Um, and so especially if you see a couple different symptoms like the fatigue as well and the dry skin or the nausea or lack of appetite, uh, sometimes we tend to see that as another kind of keto side effect, if you will, because we tend to suppress our appetite with uh, intermittent fasting and the higher fats have so much satiety that sometimes we do undereat, um, which can drive malnourishment. So it is important to definitely listen to our bodies and watch for trends of deficiency. So we could be at higher risk for biotin deficiency if we're just not eating ample amounts of uh, food food compounds that are rich in biotin, which biotin is going to be rich in our egg yolks. It's going to be rich in a lot of our animal protein forms. Um, and so as long as we are getting ample protein throughout the day, and protein as far as a macronutrient is the first thing that I think of as far as hair loss. So that would be my first recommendation to you, Celia, is um, to make sure that you're getting ample protein. And a way that you can calculate this is take your body weight in pounds and divide that by 2.2. So that's gonna give you kilograms. And you're gonna want to achieve at least one uh, gram of protein per kilogram of body weight. And you might even go up to a 1.2 or a 1.4, um, pending on the severity of the hair loss. Because when the body goes into malnourishment, especially during rapid weight loss, especially during protein deficiency, hair is the first thing that the body lets go. And it's kind of this protective mechanism, just like what happens with chemotherapy. Um, when the body is in high uh, oxidative risk or high damaging effects or in atrophy, hair is kind of that, that furthest in the totem pole as far as a prioritization of cellular function. So it is a marker of micronutrient deficiency. Yes, biotin supplements are something you could consider, but my first line of defense would be, are you getting ample protein in your diet? And then you may consider, um, I do like as far as a supplemental support by Pure Encapsulations, I'll put a link in the show notes, Hair, Skin, and Nails Ultra, I believe it's called, and we'll put a link to that. It's by Pure Encapsulations, and that would be taken twice a day. And then the other thing that I would significantly recommend, and I've seen stronger clinical trends with hair loss and even personally myself, is collagen. So I'm a big fan of incorporating collagen into your coffee in the morning um, and trying to get that full two scoops at least five days a week or 10 scoops total per week of the collagen. Collagen peptides uh, play a significant role in connective tissue, and that's where we see a big improvement with hair, skin, and nails. So, and collagen, adding that in would be a good way also to get you up to your minimum protein need. So that could be used in like a low-carb protein shake or added to your keto coffee um, or, you know, mixed into foods, but that would be a great way to get that support specifically for connective tissue, and that would also play a big role in um, the hair loss. 
And then one other thing, Cecilia, that you might consider is looking at a micronutrient test. So a micronutrient test is something that we offer at our practice Naturally Nourished that looks at 35 different vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. So this would assess for other drivers of hair loss, things like zinc or nutrients like um, folic acid, which would play a big role as well. Um, looking at, uh, I said zinc, folic acid, copper can play a role with hair thinning and hair loss. And then it would also assess for your amino acids, so your glutamine, asparginine, to see if you were actually having any significant catabolism, muscle wasting, or protein malnourishment. So if you're seeing other symptoms of deficiency and you've gotten your protein up for at least a four-week consistent period of time and you've incorporated collagen for four to six weeks and you aren't seeing a change, that's when then I would go to that step further of advanced functional medicine and run a micronutrient blood test. And you can do that on our website at AllieMillerRD.com. You can go into the My Clinic tab. And when you're in that tab, um, there is a section called Labs. And under Labs is Micronutrient Panel. And you can select Option A or B, A would be selecting the lab with a short 15-minute review just to really get the information. If you do the micronutrient panel B, you would get a comprehensive functional medicine assessment and the review of that blood test in a 90-minute session. Awesome. So that addresses um, Uh-oh, the, the first part, part of the question. <laughs> yeah, and, and the insulin part, it sounds like it could even be related since biotin does play a role with carbohydrate metabolism. Yes, uh, but in, let's in address... some ways. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as far as markers, if that's what she was asking, yep. as far as like a lab, so insulin resistant markers, there's a couple different things that I like to look at. And this is offered in a our cardiometabolic panel, which is very comprehensive. I like to look at fasting insulin. And so fasting insulin is something that also your physician can run. You just have to request it. Fasting insulin is going to be a stronger indicator, a more sensitive indicator of insulin resistance over even that hemoglobin A1C, which is that three-month average of your blood sugar levels. Uh, So your fasting insulin would be able to look at, if you have elevated fasting insulin, that's typically looking at hyperinsulinemia or excessive insulin output, and that would be correlated or trended with insulin resistance. So that would be the first thing we'd look at. We could also look at our C-peptide value, which looks at our pancreatic function, and that plays a significant role with our uh, insulin release and um, insulin response. And then there is a score also on the cardiometabolic assessment called the HOMA, which is your um, insulin resistance marker. And so that would be the way to look at that kind of whole piece of the puzzle. And that's also offered under our labs tab. And I think it's listed under, I think it's called cardiometabolic. Let me see. Labs, cardiometabolic, heart health, and, and diabetes panel. So that's a panel that you could order through us, or you could ask your physician for C peptide, fasting insulin, um, the HOMA, insulin resistance score, as well as your hemoglobin A1C and your um, fasting glucose and look at all of those and then kind of see trends from there. Awesome. So I think that's super helpful and just really interesting to think about how all those unrelated symptoms could be maybe tied into something as simple as a micronutrient deficiency. Um, So let's go into our next question. So this one is from Kristen in San Francisco. Hi, Allie. I love your podcast. Please keep it up. My question is about eczema. 
I'm 44 and have suffered from eczema on my hands for the last 10 to 15 years. Do you have any suggestions for diet changes? I started listening and following your recommendations on macronutrient distribution and went from 135 to 123 today. I feel great, but would love any recommendations on my eczema challenges. The dermatologist gave me a cream and advised I should always wear gloves when cleaning, cooking, or washing. Thanks so much for any advice. Okay, that's awesome, Kristen. So congrats on your weight loss of 12 pounds. That's fantastic. And uh, looks like more than 10% body, uh, total body composition um, loss. So that's fantastic. Uh, as far as eczema goes, the first thing that I think of is our barrier defense. And so our skin is the largest organ of our body and it plays a huge role as far as permeability and our defense mechanisms as far as exposure to different pHs, chemicals, and um, like your doctor is recommending, that's why they're concerned about your skin being sensitive to maybe different cleansing materials or um, acids when cooking and things like that, or just the abrasion of soaps and such. So we want to try to build up our barrier, which is really supporting that bilipid membrane, which is the cell walls. So every cell in your body has a bilipid membrane and has both water and fat solubility. And the first thing I think of with eczema as far as supporting the barriers is essential fatty acid deficiency and really skin conditions in general. So even when we're talking about like karyatosis and different dermatitis, uh, karyatosis is like those raised uh, bumps. Some people call that chicken skin, like on the backs of the arms. That's often correlating with an essential fatty acid deficiency. So we could also consider a micronutrient test to look a little bit deeper down that rabbit hole. But um, to start, I would definitely get going with our EPA DHA extra. So a good quality EPA DHA fish oil omega-3 supplement that has at least a two gram marine lipid concentrate of the omega-3 fatty acids in those bioavailable forms. So the, the EPA DHA extra would be a great start. And then specific to eczema and um, our barriers and especially with female hormone connection, we look at GLA as an additional fatty acid that can work in balance. So a GLA supplement that you could do in a liquid form and add into smoothies or take as an oral supplement starting anywhere at, at 200 milligrams upwards of 500 milligrams um, would be a reasonable dosage of that GLA and um, that would still keep you in synergy to have a higher omega-3 fatty acid ratio and then something else that we think of with uh, eczema beyond deficiencies is going to be our microbiome and our gut bacteria influence and having reactivity as far as dysbiosis or yeast overgrowth or bacterial imbalances. And so definitely I'd recommend a good quality probiotic and maybe one that has a beneficial compound that has uh, influence against yeast overgrowth, which would be including Saccharomyces boulardii as a strain. So I would recommend our Spectrum probiotic so I believe it's, uh, yeah, the Restore Spectrum Probiotic. And this is going to have the uh, Saccharomyces as well as 10 different strains of probacteria. And this is something that you could bring in to kind of help to reset gut bacteria. And if you have other symptoms 
of dysbiosis or yeast overgrowth. So if we're talking about uh, changes in bowels or loose stools or constipation or bloating or distension, thrush, uh, vaginal yeast infections, then I would definitely recommend our Beat the Bloat ebook and following that 10-week protocol with the candida cleanse bundle and the bacteria rebuild bundle following if none of that sounds like you could you could just start with the restore spectrum probiotic the epa dha extra and gla and see how your body does but you may need to take it a step further and really look at doing a bacterial reset with the beat the bloat uh, ebook as the driver and that would really fully address that dysbiosis or yeast overgrowth as a big trend that we do see with eczema and that's a big one we see also with the pediatric population is the baby having bacterial imbalance and that being a big driver. And then the final thing I'd mention as far as eczema that also corresponds with babies is food sensitivities and gut health in general. So again, the skin being a barrier, if the gut is not inoculated with beneficial bacteria, either based on the birth history um, or breastfeeding or other reasons like antibiotics and such or steroids, um, we can often see if there's not the right colony of bacteria in the gut, we can see more propendency towards leaky gut. And this means more inflammation in the body. And the eczema can be a sign of a food sensitivity or food intolerance where we're having larger than desired food particles cross the gut blood barrier and the immune system responds with inflammation. And so we can see that rawness or damage on the epithelial layer of the skin, the tissue cells, um, as a marker of barrier destruction from the food sensitivities and inflammation. So we could consider looking at that MRT food test or doing an elimination diet if we wanted to start there. And definitely for eczema, the first things I would be very staunch about removing would be gluten, corn, soy, and dairy. And try to keep all of those four food groups out for at least a six week period of time. And then each week, introduce the one ingredient per week to assess which one was the culprit. And that would be if you see reduction in symptoms. Um, and then uh, within that um, timestamp of avoiding the gluten, corn, soy, and dairy in all forms, we would also emphasize getting a high amount of bone broth in your diet and also getting gelatin and collagen, either one in a supplemental form. And that's going to help to protect your connective tissue, help to seal the gut and prevent increased food sensitivity, as well as support the um, healthy skin cell regeneration, supporting connective tissue repair. Um, and then the other thing that might be considered along those lines that we see really good outcomes with is L-glutamine, um, which would be in our, GL, uh, in our GI lining powder. And our GI lining powder is focused to be basically a barrier of defense for a leaky gut. So it's kind of a sealant on the tank, if you will, that lines the GI tract so that there's less reactivity 
to foods and chemicals. So we see this both in the pediatric population as well as adults as a beneficial supplement add-on to add a scoop of that GI lining powder per day to help to reduce sensitivity and reduce the dermatological flares. And then, you know, topically you might play with things like coconut oil that have antifungal and antimicrobial properties. Those can help dermatologically reset a little bit of that microbiome and, and bacterial balance too. Awesome. I think anyone who's dealing with skin issues can use that information um, to kind of go down the rabbit hole and investigate their own situation. Yeah. You know, we always say that the skin is a uh, external view of the gut. And so acne too, you know, that's a really good uh, indicator that there's some form of bacterial or yeast imbalance. And so definitely starting with probably that Beat the Bloat ebook would be a good entrance. And then, like I said, the elimination diet of those four food groups, I would start there before going into an intense, you know, MRT protocol if, if that, if that um, isn't warranted for other reasons. Sure. And then um, let's move on to our next questions. These two are about keto, so I'll group them together okay. um, just so we can get as many questions as possible today. Um, so our first one is Kim from Ontario. I'm a fit 56-year-old postmenopausal woman who seems to be getting a little muffin top. I lift heavy seven days a week and eat relatively healthy, save for chocolate. Thinking about keto, any advice? Thank you so much. Okay. So I'm guessing Kim isn't keto yet. Um, so yes, a couple things, Kim. One is, so postmenopausal at 56, we likely transitioned just recently, um, unless it was an early menopausal transition. So a couple things that can occur with menopause is we can definitely have hormonal fluctuations and changes. Not only do we drop in estrogen, but we also drop in progesterone. And often when we're seeing the belly fat, we think of a little bit of estrogen dominance. So one of the first things that would be very helpful is to delve into a ketogenic diet where the body uses fat as fuel. And that can also help to reset a little bit of hormonal imbalance, if you will. So I would definitely consider looking at, uh, in the next couple weeks, we'll be launching our virtual ketosis program, which starts in January, and we are already filling spots in that program. So you definitely would want to check out uh, purchasing a place in that group. It's a 12-week program, and we've seen in our program that we're just wrapping up now before the holiday season really kicks into high gear, a significant weight loss of upwards of 30 pounds during this period of time, as well as um, significant improvements with digestion, mood stability, energy, cravings, improved sleep, cognition, all sorts of really, really cool things. Um, and so it's something I'd recommend. I think it's a really great value. You get access to our, if you buy the bundle, our two eBooks, um, which is the Ketogenic Kickstart and Eat Fat Get Skinny, and then a place in our virtual ketosis private group on Facebook, as well as an active place in all six classes, which are every other week. And then they are archived so you can rewatch the videos and you get uh, specific customized materials and handouts that accommodate each course. So that's something you could purchase as the bundle now and then start reading those two ebooks. If you just want to start with the bundle of the ebooks, you can also do that. Um, and both of those are found on the Allie Miller RD website under books and programs. So those, I think that keto would be a great start. The only thing otherwise that I'd mentioned to you, Kim, 
is consider as far as your heavy lifting um, and maybe some cravings you're mentioning with the chocolate and the hormonal changes and that muffin top is just watch over exercising. We're gonna be doing an upcoming episode on that. So uh, check it out, Kim. That should be coming in the next couple weeks. Um, but we often do see with excessive exercise, excessive cortisol output and cortisol is a steroid hormone that can drive belly fat and so we want to make sure that we're able to find relaxation and some more passive movement therapy in conjunction with uh, more excitatory exercise output and we may want to assess our adrenal function um, and look into supporting a, a little bit of adrenal rebound if needed or suppression of excessive cortisol because that can work against our body and that's something also that our virtual ketosis program does is it really incorporates functional integrative medicine within the ketogenic diet so we have an entire course on hpa access and fight or flight mode and the role on the body and how stress can inhibit your weight loss journey as well as dysbiosis and gut bacteria and so all these cool things in a individualized more customized approach that i think would be a great fit for a lot of you listeners Awesome. And then this next one on keto, I'm just going to jump right into it while sure. we're on that train. Um, hi, Allie and team. I know you've covered it a few times, but there are so many who struggle with candida, men and women. Could you cover how ketosis could affect candida? I have a rash that started four months ago in my chest area. It keeps coming and going. I can't figure out what it is. Food sensitivity, candida, infections, parasites, question mark, ketones. Um, and then she's got another question about kids and keto. So I'll let you go for the skin one first or the candida um, and rash one first, and then we'll ask the next part. Okay, Karen. So we're talking about another dermatological concern, and I would tie this into, you know, some people call this a keto rash, um, but this is often due to what's called a translocation of gut bacteria. So when your gut was used to being higher visited with carbs, so if you had a prior standard American diet or you know higher carbohydrate diet, the microbiome or gut bacteria were used to fermenting and eating complex carbohydrates or refined carbohydrates and metabolizing those into, uh, as you were metabolizing those into glucose, that glucose was getting in the bloodstream and fueling the yeast or bacterial imbalance. And so often the yeast and bacteria, when the gut is not providing them that fuel source, they try to find other areas to thrive. And so that's why even in a candida cleanse or a uh, protocol where we're taking supplements to reduce the bacterial overgrowth, we can see translocation into the oral cavity or ENT, ear, nose, and throat, where we'll get more wax in the ears or we'll get a little bit of thrush, like uh, yeast on the tongue, uh, white caking on the tongue, or we'll get more post-nasal drip. And that often is the bad bacteria trying to go up into the upper area of the body because we're targeting the gut with a lot of our formulas. So I would say keep ketoing on as far as if you're getting other benefits from a ketogenic diet. And I would definitely incorporate our Candida Cleanse bundle and recommend checking out that same book, the ebook that I recommended for, uh, where were we talking about that? Kristen. Kristen. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, someone in San Francisco, yes. So the same ebook I recommended, Karen, to Kristen, the, the Beat the Bloat Cleanse, um, would be really beneficial for you to read and understand. It talks about also um, dealing with 
the die-off symptoms and how you can support your body in actually detoxifying and removing the die-off so we don't get residual buildup of uh, dead bacteria and yeast in our body, which can drive toxicity. So very thorough ebook with great information. It's only $19.95, and then it'll give you more information about the supplements. And what's cool about our Candida Cleanse Bundle is the formulas are so diverse, although it's called a Candida Cleanse Bundle, the um, Candy Active, for instance, has oil of oregano, which has a significant antiparasitic property. The berberine in there is both antimicrobial and antifungal and also supports your liver in detox. So there's a very comprehensive approach beyond just a yeast cleanse that really helps to kind of plow the field of the gut, period. And so that would be the best thing I would say as far as resetting your microbiome and hopefully eradicating that overgrowth so you're not getting that that rashing flare karen um, so that would be the the big big recommendation there and then following that with probiotic would be key too awesome and then second part of her question was um she'd like to know more about using keto with children so she says her son is definitely allergic to all nuts and it's really hard to do keto with him would it be harmful if he went keto, kept rice in his diet, rice flour for baking? I have friends with ADHD, so I love the podcast on ADHD, and I'm wondering if keto would be appropriate. And I don't know how old her kiddo is. Okay, yeah. So Karen, that would be kind of my answer. Is hard to say. Um, I And my big thing is as far as getting tight with ketosis, and by tight, I mean monitoring and restricting. If we're going to be tight with ketosis, I recommend – having a health-related driving focus and also being at a hormonal, either either being in a imbalanced hormone state during hormonal transition or being post-hormonal transition as far as the pre, uh, pre-pubescent period. So, you know, somewhere between 11 to 13, if the child is overweight, um, dealing with insulin resistance, absolutely, then therapeutic ketosis is a good thing. And that would be the restrictive tight approach. If we're not dealing with child obesity, if we're not dealing with hormonal imbalance, if we're not dealing with neurological concerns like epilepsy and other neurological conditions like MS, those would also, of course, be times where we would use a therapeutic, tight, monitored ketosis program. Now, in the other world, if we're just talking about, um, and, and ADHD is kind of one of those fringe drivers. ADHD, I would definitely go specific carbohydrate, and I would definitely pull grains out, and I would look at high-fat, low-carb diet. But on the level of actually monitoring blood ketones or urine ketones, I likely wouldn't do that if the child did not have weight to lose. I would focus more on abundance of high fat and restricting refined carbohydrates and keeping grains out to help to reset the microbiome. But those kids would maybe do okay with um, a starchy vegetable or resistant starch here and there because that could actually fuel their microbiome in a favorable way. And that's where we might start specific carbohydrate and then work in some fibers as we've reset the biome. And that's something that I would do with my inflammatory bowel disease kids as well. Um, So we may incorporate moderate amounts of fruit in these children. um, And then over time, we may even incorporate some, some starchier vegetables like carrots and such. And it really just depends on the big picture of, of their health. 
Um, but the premise or the concept of a keto diet can definitely be appropriate. It's just at what level of restriction we have to go and monitoring. And that's where I'd really say it would, it would really want to be warranted as necessary. Um, otherwise, we're just looking at really balanced eating and, and single ingredients. And so with that, with that being said, rice flour would, would likely be okay. Um, and especially with the nut sensitivity, that seems like that would work just fine. And you might want to keep more of a very low glycemic ratio of something closer to like 60 grams of carbs versus the tight restriction of 20 to 30, which we would need to go into tight ketone production. And then just kind of monitor outcomes and trends and also depends on child's um, compliance when away from the home because we don't want to create this over restriction over um, consumption when away from the household and creating behavioral abnormalities based on restriction if the uh, implementation isn't really thoroughly understood. Awesome. That's super helpful. Um, let's do this one from Delene S. What would you suggest for someone who doesn't have a gallbladder? So I'm not sure if she was looking for keto recommendations or just general wellness. So let's just real quick cover both. Okay, so Deline, uh, the first thing I'd highly recommend is Digestate Enzyme. So that's on the Allie Miller RD website under the store or shop tab um, under nutritional supplements. This has ox bile in it. So the function of the gallbladder is to hold bile, which is produced by the liver. And the digestate has active bile in there, which stimulates more bile production and also helps with emulsification or gathering of and absorption of fats, as well as bowel regularity. So it prevents loose stools. Uh, the digestate also has a whole gamut of other benefits like uh, DPP-4 to break down the caseomorphin in dairy, the more inflammatory component of dairy, and the more inflammatory component in gluten. Um, so a good kind of insurance policy, if you will, for those more inflammatory foods. And then compounds to break down proteins, carbohydrates, and fats in general. So it has lipase to break down lipids. So the digestate taken about 10 to 15 minutes prior to meals would be very important to help to support liver uh, production of bile and also help in hand without having that additional storage tank, if you will. And so that'll help with uh, fat malabsorption. And I do not recommend a low-fat diet after having a gallbladder removal. I, I recommend still continuing with a moderate or high-fat diet, depending on where your macros lie. And yeah, you can absolutely do a ketogenic diet without your gallbladder. You just do need digestive enzyme support. And the digestate also has something called HCL, hydrochloric acid, which helps to reset the pH of your gastric pouch or your stomach, which is a very good line of defense for bad bacteria and also helps to activate your breakdown of proteins. So um, huge recommendation across the board for anyone dealing with digestive distress and definitely anyone without a gallbladder. And you could basically slowly titrate up your fat tolerance while using that enzyme to see where you're at. And then some easier to absorb fats would be the more smaller chain fatty acids like our MCTs that are found in our coconut oil. So coconut oil is, yes, a saturated fat, but it has more medium chain triglycerides versus longer chain triglycerides. So it should be easier to absorb in the cells. Um, and if you are keto, that will also help in turn to produce more ketone bodies. Awesome. So I think I'll save our last question for a future Q&A episode. We've got a whole bunch more um, and keep them coming, guys, over on the Ask Allie part of the podcast page. Uh, yeah. But I want to make sure we have 
time to talk about Thanksgiving. So, Allie, what are your plans this year? What's your menu looking like? And tell us how you go about that menu planning process. Yeah. (laughs) So, like I said, I spend a lot of time. I mean, food is my thing, you guys. So, I love food. I love fall flavors. And this year being tighter in into keto personally, I'm being a little bit more explorative with uh, carb swap outs. And also, as I've talked in my virtual ketosis program, you don't have to have a black and white perspective to things like starchy vegetables. So, you know, even modifying like my pumpkin paleo muffins, I was able to modify that recipe by keeping out the uh, sucanat, which is a, a more nutritionally dense cane sugar um, and removing that completely but keeping just a half of the amount of maple syrup and still keep the total muffin at 10 grams of carbs which was still keto friendly so I've been playing a lot with fall flavors I've been doing at leading into Thanksgiving I guess first I've been doing with all of my keto coffee adding in um, pumpkin spice which has been really fun Um, So I got a good blend of the pumpkin pie spice, which has the nutmeg and ginger and cinnamon. And I've been adding that to my coconut oil. And uh, I've been doing the uh, ghee, which is from Tin Star. That is the brown butter ghee. So it also has like more of a like toasty, aromatic, vanilla-y kind of flavor profile. And that's been a a big thing I've been using in my morning fasts and feels just very warming and yummy. Um, And then I... Always when I'm planning my menu, I like to plan a salad, two to three non-starchy vegetables, um, and then I add a lot of root vegetables to my roasting rack when we're roasting our turkey, and then I always do a pan gravy sauce, and then um, I usually let someone else do the the um, dessert because it's just kind of not my thing. I'm far from a pastry chef, and I'm not very good at measuring, and so desserts for me are are kind of a second thought i plan this year to make our um, pumpkin pie panna cotta or gelatin that i'm gonna just have at at home and maybe make a batch for my sister-in-laws to have in the evening and that's going to be my indulgence and then i'm just going to kind of sit out and do uh either probably decaf coffee at the time of dessert Um, and focus more on my nourishment with the higher vegetables. Um, And I will allow, I'll space it out, but I'm going to definitely have two glasses of wine this Thanksgiving. (laughs) So that's kind of where I pull my carbs in and that's that's where they count for me. (laughs) How about you, Becky? Awesome. Well, I've started delving into menu and I'm I'm going to my in-laws this year as well. So that'll be interesting. It's the first time I'll have cooked with them for Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, but I'm planning to do this, um, this kale harvest salad that I've been making. And I think you made a version of it recently too. Um, so base of kale that's been massaged with pomegranate seeds, a little bit of roasted acorn squash with some cinnamon on there. Um, and then some pecans that have been roasted as well. Yeah. And then I'm also thinking mashed cauliflower with roasted garlic. Awesome. Yeah, I did that same salad pretty much like you said, but with I think arugula as the base. And okay. then I yep. did uh, the delicata squash, which are those like little round cylinder ones and just sliced them and then scooped out the seeds and roasted them as well. And so, yeah, you guys, even if you are keto or you're just low glycemic, be mindful that it's an entire half cup of these starchy vegetables 
that are going to be only 15 grams of carbs. So to have like a good glorified tablespoon and a half of that in a salad can be re really nourishing and yummy and give you some of that resistant starch to feed your good gut bacteria and still keep you deep into using fat as fuel. So definitely don't be 110% fearful. That's something that you might be able to incorporate and or you could use that as a day where you carb cycle. That's something else to consider and that might remove the emotional guilt element and, and it just kind of depends on where you are with your food journey and, and what the emotional role that food is playing with you. But definitely channel abundance that's the biggest thing so awesome so we both have a similar salad plan mm -hmm. um you could swap out um in, instead of the squash you could do a form of a beet or a roasted carrot or you could i like to also do if you're scared of the starches that's okay for now um you could also do roasted brussels sprouts in that salad and that would work really nice too or even um a little bit of roasted like fennel root would work really well too i've done that in salads over different years as well oh yeah that and sounds your, awesome your cauliflower is going to be mashed this year did you say with I'm going to do mashed cauliflower and then roast some garlic and kind of fold that in at the end. With like so. butter and olive oil or? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. of the things. Yeah. Butter and more butter. Okay. Okay. And I've been on a super high cauliflower, like a turmeric roasted cauliflower kick. So I was thinking of doing a dish with roasted turmeric cauliflower um, and... I'm trying to come up with a side that kind of a base that goes within that. I was going to do, I think, pine nuts. I think I was going to do roasted turmeric, cauliflower, pine nuts in that, and then a nice chiffonade of basil and mint to just kind of brighten it up a little bit. Um, that was going to be one of our sides. Sounds awesome. I've also been seeing things about um, cauliflower stuffing, so that might be something to play with. Yeah, I think Trader well. Joe's had a blend of yeah. that. Yeah, mm -hmm. so and then check that out or make my own. <laughs> yes, and then we have that awesome recipe on the blog. I made this last year, the Brussels with the cranberries and bacon. Yes. And that's amazing. And um, I think I may be making that. It'll depend on what I do for that cauliflower dish. I'm starting a Google Doc. For, my sister-in-law doesn't know it yet, but <laughs> I'm starting a Google Doc and sending it her way. I will definitely be doing the cranberry sauce, though, because I love cranberries. I love the tannic, sour bitterness of them. I always have to scoop my own amount of cranberry sauce out first because it's always too tart <laughs> for my family members. Um, but I like to do the recipe on our blog and I even hold back on, is the sweetener in there? Uh, grade B maple syrup, Becky? It's a great question. It's Cinnamon, been a long time orange, since I've made it. I think, zest, it, I think it definitely bit, is orange zest. Orange zest, orange juice, cranberries until they pop. And I think there may not even be an added sweetener. I think it's honey, actually. I'm like 99% positive. Um, and so I usually right. just start with like a teaspoon at a time. Um, and then I scoop out my own amount. So it's pretty tangy, pungent. And then I add more honey for my family members. Um, and, and then it's a really awesome antioxidant-rich cranberry sauce. It is, honey. I just checked. Okay. <laughs> and then Brady, Brady and I were saying, now I think my sister-in-law is going to do a full turkey and all of the goods. Um, but, but Brady and I were saying, if we were at home and next time we do Thanksgiving and host, which will be next year, we're going to do two chickens. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I've done a lot of heritage birds and um, I love that 
I, I, I love, as you guys know, pasture-raised, grass-fed, heirloom varietals. Um, but we've just had difficult times <laughs> getting the perfect uh, cooking temperature or tenderness. And um, so I was thinking that next time I host, I'm going to do two roasted chickens. But um, otherwise, I like to definitely always get the giblets, the organs with the turkey, the neck and the um, giblets. And you can use the giblets to make our pate recipe, which is on the blog. You can also, if you're a little queasy on that, just throw them into your bone broth and definitely save your carcass to make an amazing turkey bone broth. And you can follow our roasted chicken bone broth recipe. Just use the carcass of your turkey and you could do that in your slow cooker your instapot or your um big stock pan and um, of course you want to cook it at least 24 to 36 hours to get that nice gelatin and uh, you could make our wild turkey soup which is in the naturally nourished uh, the wild rice turkey soup if you're keto you can omit the wild rice um, but it's fantastic um, in the naturally nourished cookbook and um, really popular option Awesome. I love that. And yeah, I brine my turkey because I have found the same thing with the more heritage and smaller turkeys. They seem to just dry out. Burn. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll do a, a brine for the, you know, 24 hours or so prior with a high amount of salt in okay. there um, and a whole bunch of different spices. And that's what I've had the most success with. Okay. Okay, good. We'll have to try that. And then are you doing any dessert this year, Becky, or what's the plan for sweets for you guys? I think I will. Um, and usually I just try to make a gluten-free version and, and keep it simple of something that's a holiday favorite just to keep everyone happy and not to <laughs> go yeah. too far off the edge. Um, so I'm thinking either pumpkin pie or um, a pecan bar with a, a nut flour crust. Ooh, and maybe some chocolate like fudge. Yeah. That's what I would channel. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, let me work on that pecan bar recipe. Like we'll chocolate that on the drizzle blog. over the top. You got it. That's what I'm thinking. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like and caramely. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, how about for the other thing I'd mentioned, you guys, is gravy can be a really nourishing food or it can be a total crapshoot. So I highly recommend, even if choosing organic, trying to make your own gravy. Um, this is another great way that you can incorporate some of the giblets or organs, and that's what I commonly do. About I add about a quarter to a third cup of the giblets, and I saute those. So what I do is I take the drippings from my turkey in a pan, and I will, um, so if I'm using my big roasting rack, um, I have in the past done gravy in that pan, like just put that on my double burner, but I usually pour that into a saucepan and then just kind of wash out my pan. I might deglaze it with a little bit of white wine just to make the cleanup process easier. But generally speaking, I'm taking my drippings, I'm taking some white wine, I'm taking some heavy whipping cream, and I'm uh, whisking that with some fresh thyme and rosemary chopped up and a pretty copious amount of uh, Himalayan pink salt or Celtic sea salt. And I uh, thicken that with arrowroot. And then also in that simmering process is where I'd put about that quarter to third cup of the giblets or organs. And then I blend that on high in my Vitamix and then just kind of salt and pepper to taste again at the end. Um, but you're getting a lot of the, uh, a little bit of that collagen and gelatin from the bone that leaches into the drippings. And then you do want to kind of capitalize on that browning. So again, if you're not using your roasting pan, take a little bit of white wine to deglaze in that pan before you dump the, uh, 
drippings into a saucepan because then you'll get that nice mylard browning effect and that's really where that yum caramelization of flavor is um, but the arrowroot is a really great thickener option you could also play with kudzu root um, but both of those are definitely a more healthy alternative to a uh, cornstarch for sure yeah or they store-bought version of gravy if you right, or the drippings and you've got everything right there you might as well use them yeah yeah and you don't need to add flour to thicken a gravy nope. nope all right so let's talk through I'll link a bunch of these recipes um, in our show notes but let's talk through just a couple of tips Allie for staying on track through the holiday season sure so I love the idea of like a turkey trot or getting out and moving on Thanksgiving. And so some families do like a football tournament or basketball or do a 5K. All of those things are great holiday traditions to start with your household so that you can keep movement going. Because generally speaking, most people consume up to a thousand extra calories plus on Thanksgiving. So if you could burn an extra 500, that'd be fantastic. Um, If you are fat adapted, that's definitely a great day to practice a morning fast, um, probably upwards of about 2 p.m. And then um, that would also help to stave off some of the earlier onset of calories and maybe using the technique of three days of intermittent fasting following Thanksgiving Day to kind of reset your metabolism. And then otherwise, if you're low glycemic and not accustomed to fasting, I would just do a high protein breakfast. So maybe just like two hard boiled eggs with mustard or a slice of frittata with farmer's market vegetables um, and keeping the carbs at bay so that you can, um, of course, there's no rollover points, if you will, but you're probably going to be found by carbs with all of the different things to navigate. So I'd also say choose two um, carbohydrate choices if you're not staying tight into a low carbohydrate approach during your Thanksgiving. So whether that is the sweet potatoes or mashed potatoes or stuffing or pie or alcohol or, you know, there's so many, like I said, that will find you. Um, And try to choose those that are nostalgic or have more of an emotional connection, those that are not store-bought, those that are special, and those that resonate and um, are nourishing and are worth it for you. You know, so the ones that aren't worth it, just kind of pull those out of... um, an option and fill up more on fiber and antioxidants in your non-starchy vegetables at at your meal. Um, And the big final piece of advice I have is just practicing gratitude and mindfulness. So if during your Thanksgiving feast, you're able to just slow down, be aware, set down your fork, take part in conversation with family and friends, and really practicing on that day throughout the day, mantras of gratitude and fulfillment and abundance, that's what the idea is all about. I always say one of my kind of phrases that I didn't make up, but I don't remember where I heard it was, you know, that food will either go to waste or to your waste. So it's either going in the trash can or on your waist <laughs> and don't treat your body like the trash can. So, you know, if you over grab and you eat with your eyes first, listen to your body. Don't feel bad about tossing food out. It's not going to affect starving children in a third world country, unfortunately, at that time and moment. So respect and honor your body and temple and um, nourish it with non-food related um, forms of abundance. And that will really help you to stay successful throughout the holiday season. Awesome. I love it. And I, we also have a recipe for some holiday cocktails that I'll throw into our show notes, which could yeah. be a fun, fun little twist I just wanted to mention. Um, yes. 
as an option. Uh, but we, we want to wish you all a very happy and healthy Thanksgiving. I hope you got a lot out of this episode, both from the Q&A and from our menu chat. Um, and as always, leave us a review on iTunes or hop on over to Ask Allie on our podcast page to ask us a question. Thanks for tuning in. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.